It's so good to see you here this morning. We are continuing on our uh, theme for the month, Strategy for Spiritual Warfare. Our main text is 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're reading from verse 1 to verse 11. But verse 11 has become the verse that we are working on, working with and learning from. And it reads, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. And we are learning from this text and from what we have been studying the last few weeks that Satan uses schemes or what you want to call a strategy to defeat a believer. We must remember that wars are not won on might only, but they are won on strategy. A strategy is the planning, coordination, and general direction of military operations to meet overall political and military objectives. Strategy is simply tactics that get implemented. Short-term decisions that are made in terms of how the troops move and how weapons are employed in the field of battle. So Satan does use strategies. We want to add today as we continue on this topic, Ephesians 6, 11, which says, put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Can I hear an amen? amen. So we, we noted that, that when it comes to warfare, you use strategy. And we learned the last few weeks that there are four strategies which we must employ as we prepare for war, even as we are going into war, and these four strategies have to do with what somebody says, you've got to get your head into the game. Because the starting point of all warfare is your way of thinking, your mind. And so we talked about four of them. The first one being the polarity strategy. In this case, we're talking about when you declare war on your enemies. In other words, you must know who your enemy is and declare war on that enemy. Don't play around with your enemy. Is the polarity strategy. Number two, we learned about the guerrilla war of the mind strategy. This is where Satan, or in this instance where you, you, your enemy, you, you learn never to try and fight the past. Because the enemy will try to use your past failures, your past mistakes. We learned last week how Satan can try to use condemnation against us and try to hold us back in our walk with God. And so we are not going to try and get entangled in our past. Let our past be behind us. Number three, we also learned last week about the counterbalance strategy. And that, that is in the midst of the turmoil of events, don't lose your presence of mind. In the midst of a war, don't get to a point where you allow fear to grip you, you allow confusion to grip you, because once you lose your presence of mind in the midst of a war or in a battle, you're going to lose. You've got to have the presence of mind. No matter how hard things get, how difficult they are, how confusing they are, keep your composure. Tell your neighbor, keep your composure. Tell your other neighbor, neighbor, you must keep your composure. Tell your other neighbor, especially you, you must keep your composure, especially you. Number four, 
The fourth one is we must is, is what we call the death ground strategy. In other words, you've got to create a sense of agency and desperation. What do we mean by that? When you are in the midst of a war, you've got to get to a point where you fight like it's your last day on earth. You've got to, you've got to fight to the bitter end and don't give up. Because until you have your back against the wall, you will never know what you are made of. You've got to fight like your life depends on it. Because if you don't go that far with war, you will never know what you're made of. You know, uh, things might be different now, but you know, growing up as a child, most of it more now, we, 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 we never used to be very kind to pets. You know, uh, even though people had pets, they had dogs and cats, but you know, we never really used to be very nice on pets. And it was even worse if you, if you, if you got to, 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 to beat a stray dog or a stray cat. How many of you remember Neribitsang a stray dog? Mgoho. And when you saw them goho, you would chase them goho. And, and I mean, you were not nice to it. So I remember one time, there was this cat that was a stray cat. Right? So I saw it in a neighborhood, and I started chasing this cat, and it ran from me. And I chased it all the way into one of the, you know, opposite to where I live, there's a, there's a church there. It's a Presbyterian church. And, you know, it's, they've got a big house and a garage. Those days, you remember, we never used to have garages. So this, this, this cat ran into the garage, and I ran after it. So finally, I cornered this cat. Okay? Kitsuri, yeah, something. And as I cornered this cat, to my utter amazement, this cat changed. I can't say it was purring or whatever, but whatever it did, it started growling and it became twice the size that I used to know. And it, started, it exposed its teeth and its, its, its claws. When I saw that, Bazalana, I tell you, I just turned and ran away. It's so strange that until I got that cat backed up, I never could see that side of it. It's only when it had its back against the wall where I really saw what the cat was made of and I realized I am no match to this cat. You've got to fight like that as a child of God. Are you understanding me? Don't run away from war. Don't run away from turmoil. Don't, don't pack your bags and leave. Get to a point as Paul says and having fought to a standstill, you must stand. That's Ephesians chapter 6. That means you've got to fight until you have your back against the wall and you can't back up anymore. And when you fight like your life depends on it, only then you'll find out how strong you are. Tell your neighbor, especially you, especially you. So those are the four strategies that, have, that deal with the mind, getting your mind into the game. Today, what we're going to do, we're going to do a word study. Please forgive me. We're going to be very wordy today. We're going to be using Greek words. This is only to try and explain something because I want to show you five key words on how the enemy operates in spiritual warfare. And as we do this brief study, you'll get a better understanding of the strategy of spiritual warfare Mostly what the enemy uses. So let me give you these five key words 
And then we're going to do a word study together. The first word is the word devil. Devil. Number two, wiles. Number three, stronghold. Number four, oppression. But I think I must stop at this point because do you see the word oppression behind me? Don't you just love our young people who are operating these things at the back there? Why don't you give them a big hand? Give who's doing this. My goodness. I, I like these young people, but that's why we must look professional, ne? Eh? I mean, Shaban Fela Wazalana, isn't this amazing? Shabayaba. I just love them. I just love them. Ah, Haleratin Tosente Wazalana. How? The fifth word is the word deception. Deception. Now, here's what I'm going to ask you to write down, all right? Okay, let's read the words out. King, number one. Number two. Number three. Number four. Number five. Now, this is what I want you to be aware of, all right? Please be aware of this. Write this down. The, the devil is not creative or the enemy is not creative. He has been replicating the same attack for the last 6,000 years. So what we're going to learn here is what, if you were to read the Bible, you'll find this is the same strategy that Satan has used on many people. And it's the same strategy he'll try to use to break your spiritual life, to break your marriage, to cause you to have a financial collapse is the same strategy. There is nothing new. In fact, I heard T.D. Jakes say this, and it was, it was, it was kind of a, a revelation to me, you know. It's kind of a revelation what he said. He said, note what the Bible says. It says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. No weapon formed against me, not created, but formed against you, because Satan has no new weapons. If you think about it, any time when we have suffered defeat. It's the same method. And you will see it in these five words. It is the same thing every time. All right? So, let's go through those words. The first word is the word devil. The word devil. All right? Now, we know the enemy goes by many names. The devil, Satan, all kinds of names. Now, the name Satan, first of all, means the accuser. All right? Or it means the slanderer. That name, Satan. So Satan is also called the devil. Now note, the name devil is the Greek word diabolos. 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 <laughs> diabolos. And really, the, the name diabolos is not a proper name. That's why what a proper name is. It's, 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 it's not, a, it's not a, a, a proper name. It, it just describes who he is. Satan Diabolosis. Satan Diabolosis. In other words, it's, it's, and I'll explain what, what, what I mean by that. See, a proper name is, Musa is a proper name. But when you say actor, it's not a name. It describes what I do. Do you understand? So the name devil is not a name. It's a, it describes what he does. So Satan diabolosis. Oh. 
Now, that name, Diambolos, is made up of two words. The second part is the word balos, the second part of that name. That second part of the name, the word balos, it means to throw something like a rock. The word balos means to throw something like a rock or like a ball, you throw, balos. And it has the prefix D-I-A, dia. And the name dia means to penetrate one thing all the way to the other side. So Satan acts diabolos. What does it mean? It means he comes and throws accusations, slander at you, and he throws these things to your mind repeatedly until he penetrates your mind. And that word balos is repetitive, which means Satan begins to hit your mind and hit your mind and hit your mind until he penetrates your mind with lies, with accusations, with condemnation. That's how he works. That's how he works. You see, there are many voices that are constantly speaking to us. The voice of God And if it's the voice of God, whatever it says to you will line up with what the word of God says about you. But in the case of Diabolos, Satan, his voice will always contradict what God says about you. But he knows if he says it once to you, you will not take it into consideration. So he will say it again and again and again and again until you get to a point where you accept what he says. And it's important for us to make sure that what is said to us is lining up with the word of the living God. But the voice of Satan sometimes not only comes through the thoughts that he plants to our mind, he uses people. People who reinforce the voice of Satan to speak into our lives. It can be the voice of a teacher who calls you stupid. The voice of a parent who says that you are useful, useless. It can be the voice of a relative who tells you you will not amount to anything. Or it can be the voice of society because you come from a poor home that tells you that you are an outcast. And what Satan will use, he will use your bad experience to reinforce what he says. And if he can do that, he penetrates your mind and he knows if he can penetrate your mind, he can control your life. And he controls your life with lies. Because Satan knows whoever controls your mind controls your emotions. And whoever controls your emotions dictates how you project yourself to others. There are some people, you carry yourself in such a way because you've believed a lie. When somebody believes nobody loves them, they will not even allow anyone to love them. So even if somebody loves you genuinely, you think they are not telling the truth. Why? Because there's an experience you had. And Satan keeps throwing this at you and throwing this at you until you get to your point is nobody can be trusted. There's no person in the earth who's truthful. So when whatever people say, you filter it through that experience. Look at your neighbor and say, why are you quiet? Is it you who's talking about? 
But interesting enough, the same principle also applies to God. (laughs) That if God's thoughts penetrate your mind, if God's thoughts begins to control your thinking pattern, it doesn't matter who says what. If God be for me, who can be against me? It doesn't matter if you are a David and you are looking at a Goliath when everybody is running away from Goliath because you have the thoughts of God. You will run towards Goliath because you know what God says about you. And so we need to allow God's thoughts to penetrate our minds. That's why we need to renew our mind with the word of God. And listen to what God says. That's why the word of God needs to become a standard for our lives. It should be the basis for truth. It should be what controls our lives. But the reality is that these voices are coming to us all the time. And the thing is this. You and I are the ones who make the choice which voice we're going to listen to. If you listen to the enemy and pay attention to his voice, then he penetrates our mind. Because he keeps telling you that thing again and again and again and again. You keep praying, your prayers don't get answered. You keep praying, another one doesn't get answered. Finally, he he makes you believe God's not hearing you. God, what's the use of serving God? And we've seen people walk away from God now. Because their mind was penetrated. But if you listen to God and his commands and God will begin to build things in your mind. So the devil comes with slanderous accusations and he begins to strike and strike until he dears. He penetrates the mind. But in the same way we can allow God's word to penetrate our mind. Can I hear an amen? Amen. The second word is the word wiles. Wiles. The word wiles is the Greek word methodia. It's a compound word which comes from the word meta, M-E-T-A, and the word hodio or the word odos. Listen to this, very interesting. The word hodios or the word odos, this is where we get the word odometer. An odometer is what you have in your car. It is that device that calculates the distance as you travel by the recording the number of the revolutions of the wheel. So an odometer, therefore, measures the distance covered. It's the word for the road. Watch this. So the word matter and the word orders, when you put them together, it means to operate with a road which is a single lane or a single avenue. So what Satan does is his attack is a single attack. It's a singular attack. He has one lane, one direction is going, he's going to your mind. He's going to your mind to attack your mind with lies. He's coming to your mind to come and deceive you with what he's saying. So in other words, the devil doesn't have many tricks in the bag. He has one avenue that is travel on. He's going somewhere. He's headed for one destination, which is our mind. And it comes directly to the mind, striking the mind again and again, striking your emotions until he finally penetrates. That's the word wiles. And that word is also interesting because we note 
that, that word wiles also talks about the cunning devices, the strategies of Satan trying to snare you. So Satan is heading for our minds. He's using this one road. He wants to penetrate our mind again and again. And his goal is to lie to us, to be crafty and to ensnare us. So that's what he's doing. He is bringing this our way to try and entrap us. And if we will believe what he says, then his method will work. See, sometimes when we talk about spiritual warfare, we want to talk about demons and spirits and up there, can't the biggest warfare is right here. So many people are in prison because of what's going on up here. That even if the Bible says one thing and God says one thing about them, but you know, this warfare here keeps them in bondage. Which leads me to my third word. The word that we find there is the word stronghold. Watch this. This is important. So when the devil finally penetrates the mind, when he dares, penetrates the mind by throwing thoughts, lies, Throwing lies, throwing deception. He's on this one-way road. That's the only method he's using. He's throwing these minds. Finally, when he penetrates the mind, he builds a stronghold. Now, the word stronghold is interesting because there's two parts of this word that we've discussed in the past. Two things about strongholds that I think are very important. Let's first of all look at how this word stronghold is derived in Greek. It is the word okra. Okram. And this word okram we find in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, where it says, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now note what it says. It says, Bringing down imaginations. Let's read it. Let's read it together. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Know that, ne? But they are what? Aufuganibu. They are what? They are what? They are mighty through God to what? Look at the next verse. Verse 5. It says, verse 5, casting down what? Casting down what? And every high thing that exalts itself against what? Watch now. Bringing into captivity. Bringing into captivity. Every what? Every what? Not every demon. Not every demon. See, sometimes when we talk of spiritual warfare, and I'm saying, yeah, but the biggest place of spiritual warfare is up here. Let's read it again. Casting down. The word cast down means to throw down. It starts first of all by saying, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the what? Pulling down, pulling down strongholds. And it shows you how to pull down strongholds. What do we do when we pull down strongholds? We are what? We are what? There it says, casting down what? Imaginations. Now, 
Let, let, let me develop that for you. You see, Basalat, when you read the Bible, you go to try and, 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 and check what it means. It's, it talks about imaginations. It talks about thoughts. Let me have my verse there, please. Don't remove my verse. Let me have my verse. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought. So you have thoughts, you have imaginations. This is what happens. Satan brings thoughts. If you dwell on them and you delve on them and you allow those thoughts to dear, because Satan keeps bringing the thought again and again, you are not good, you are not spiritual, God's not listening to you, no, no, no. Then, the, then you move from a thought to an imagination. An imagination is now when you constantly have a mental picture of this thing, you can't get it out of your mind. When you allow the imagination to dwell there and to stay there for a long time, it moves to the third step where it becomes a stronghold. When it's a stronghold, this thing has taken hold of your mind. It controls your life as I'm going to be explaining right now. Even if what you've heard and what you are thinking about is not true, Mara, it still controls you. Watch this now. The name stronghold there has two ideas to it. The first one is a stronghold is a prison that keeps you behind bars. In other words, you can see out into freedom through the prison bars, Mara, when you are not free. When a person has a stronghold, a lie that is working in their minds, the devil has penetrated their minds and neutralizes whatever God-given ability that person has. For instance, the devil says to a very talented singer, you are not good enough like someone else. So this talented singer cannot perform, can never rise to the level. This lie enslaves them. So here they are in church, sitting in their seat, watching somebody else singing. They know they can sing better than that person. They know that their talent is even better than that person. But because they are behind prison bars, they are watching someone singing, knowing that they're more talented than that person, but they sit there enslaved because of the lie that says, you can't do it, you don't have the confidence. How many people sit in prison looking at somebody else doing something that they know they can do, but they are not able to do it because their mind has been deared. It's been penetrated by a lie that tells them you can't do it. Oh, yeah. Though indeed they have talent and gifting, Mara, they're in prison. Sitting on the inside, looking out, wishing they could do that. How many people know they can't be able to control certain things in their lives? They can stop smoking. They can stop drinking. They can stop fooling around. They know they can. Mara, they don't. They see other people who are walking in freedom. Baba Khalla. They know they can also walk in freedom, but they sit behind the bars because Satan has convinced you you can never be free and you've believed the lie. 
You believe the lie. He kept on telling you, how now my sorrow? You cannot do it. It's not possible. You are too young or you are too old or you are too single. You cannot do it. And you've bought the lie. And he kept on throwing the lie and throwing the lie. And he reinforced that lie by other people who have told the same lie. But when you are a child, you were told by your parents, you will never amount to anything. Even if you are a straight A student, you can't go anywhere with your life. Because your mind has been deared. And Satan has used that one-way road and he kept throwing this thing and throwing it until he penetrated your mind. And now you sit in prison. You know you can be better. What you need is not more prayer. What you need is not for any demons to come out of you. What you need is to accept the thoughts of God and be everything that God says you are. That's what you need. What you need is the renewing of the mind. To lift up your level of warfare and know that the weapons of my warfare, they are not carnal. They are mighty through God. I've got to pull down strongholds. I've got to bring into captivity. When that thought comes, I mustn't allow it to rule. I've got to get hold of it and throw it down in Jesus' name. And say about me what God says about me. But these people live in if they see other people freely operating in a certain area and they know they're equally gifted, they are fighting an invisible war. It goes on in their mind all the time and they are in real prison. There are people who will never do certain things, but they will never, and never. There are people who never sleep with their lights off. Never, but whatever. When they were young, somebody scared them. When they were young, they've believed it. Even if I hear you, they've believed it. Look at somebody and say, why are you quiet? Is it you? But then that word stronghold also describes a fortress or a castle. You see, a castle or a fortress is whilst a prison is built to keep people in. A fortress is built to keep people out. Watch. Once these thoughts become a stronghold and a fortress, even if new truth comes your way that tells you different, you will keep it out. There are people who will tell you, I know you are right. I know you are right. But they will never rise to the level of embracing what they are. When a person has a mental stronghold, someone can talk to them and tell them the truth. They will say, I know you are right, but... In other words, it's though they are behind walls. Even though the truth is coming towards them from every direction, they can't seem to hear the truth. They can't receive the truth because it is a well-defended lie. There are people who have, who have defended their lies. They live in deception. They live in something that's not true. But it has become reality for them. Even though we know it's not true, they know it's not true. But it's real to them. They are in prison. Their life can't move on. 
Because Satan, he has penetrated their minds by throwing this lie and this accusation again and again, coming down this road, one direction, one way, and he throws it at them and throws it at them until these people are in prison. And in this prison, even if new thoughts come, you can be free. They push the thoughts out because they're in a fortress. Bound forever. But there are things in our lives we must all deal with. And it has to do with your thinking. Things that if you don't deal with in your life, you will forever be a prisoner. Yeah. You see my legs? I've got what they call bow legs. Okay, the horror here. You know, things are different now. I, I, I always tell my kids and the young people that, you know, you guys are living in an era where there's a lot more acceptance of different features. We, we grew up in times when we used to call each other by our features. I know it happens now, but back then it was worse. And it was even worse called apartheid in Because our definition of features and beauty was European. If you're a girl, we talk about English figure. And English figure, I think we have one today. Anyhow, I don't know. Mara, you know. So if you have an abundance of anything, you will never celebrate it. I'm, I'm glad today that people celebrate the way they look like. But I'm telling you a personal story, Bazalana, how myself, I was in my own prison. I would never wear shorts. I would wear them now. Go and never wear shorts. Never. Short pants. Never. Me, never. Never. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with me, but I was grew up. So I never wear shorts. Then I got married, you see. And my bishop would ask me, no why. I mean, I'm in summertime. It's, it's hot. Or you go to the beach camp. No, some of you ladies, but you better not laugh at me because, anyhow, let me just, and you guys mustn't laugh at me. And so we get married, and then she starts being on my case, and I'm saying, this woman, not going to wear any shorts. And I remember the first time I wore, not the first time, I used to wear them, but the one time I wore them, it was like everybody's looking at me. Have you ever been there? But the reality is, it's in your mind. Nobody cares whether you do horror or makwekwe or kiss kiss. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. And then finally, we, we visited Scotland a few years ago. And I went there, Scotland, and Pastor Benny didn't tell me. Because there were services we did, but there was this service for men, where after Bafedite, we have to graduate them. And on the day, you must wear a kilt. I mean, Bazalana, really. But thank God I was out of my prison. And I wore a kilt. Let me show you the picture. That's me right there. Oh, shaba yaba yaba. Just keep that picture there. And there I am. Wearing kiskete vasalana. If you don't know what a kilt is. I felt so terrible. I didn't know. Anyhow, let me not go there. But you know, and, and Bazar, he didn't tell me until the day. On the day, he says, Bishop, we must wear a kilt. I said, what's a kilt? He said, it's a, it's a skirt. 
That's what we wear in Scotland is our traditional attire. I said the day Utlanko so wear to wear nakito wa pesa de beshuta bona. But I did that with ease. I enjoyed it. I did everything and then I looked and said, maybe kid horomara not too bad. But listen, some of you you are in prison. You are in prison. You are in prison. Maybe you grew up, Koluna, they were making fun of certain features of you. And one day your husband or your partner tries, and all of a sudden you just exploded. And it's not what they said. It's the stronghold in you. So I remember, let me give you, let me, let me give you, I'll, I'm, yes, can I me? And don't look, look at me like how. You understand what I'm talking about. Years ago, this is the early days of pastoring. Uh, you know, we, sometimes you guys don't know. And I'm better now. I'm different. And ask Kulibitsa, you guys. <laughs> but sometimes congregants don't know how much their words can be far-reaching to a pastor when they are hurtful and sarcastic and... And say things. We, some of us, we grew up people telling us, and I, I grew up with that accusation all my life. In my early days, it used to hurt me. It used to hurt me. It doesn't hurt now. It hurts, but I'm used to it. I had to get to that point when to not listen to people and to not. And then I figured out in the process, you know what? I'm a public figure. Anything that happens to me will be multiplied 10 times, 20 times. Some people have given themselves a right to try and fix Musa. So now they have opinions about me. That's fine. No, I'm okay. I'm a big boy now. Don't worry. No, don't worry. Don't worry. People can say, I see you, Lababu. I don't respond. But it wasn't like that in the early days of ministry. And how I discovered my stronghold, now I will never forget this. You know, we had had a, a time in our church when they used to do Father's Day gifts, you know, and they would do a surprise for us, Mama Kudua Hopola, and they would buy us these things and, and come and give us Father's Day gifts. It was me and a few of our pastors. Little did I know that there was one of our pastors who didn't like this thing. I didn't know, and uh, we didn't ask for it. You know, the people did it, you know, on, on their own. So one day, this pastor goes, yeah, you are busy receiving these gifts here now when we have poor people in the church. You are not even giving these poor people. That comment hurt. I, I won't lie to you because, you know, in the first place, I never asked for it. And I wasn't the only one being given gifts. There were many of us who were given. But the guy went, it says, especially you were now Pastor Musa and, and really ripped. I mean, really ripped. So I decided that day, you know what? I will never take a single gift from this congregation anymore. That was my decision. So when people came, I just said, no, I don't want it. I still struggle with that today, you know. I said, I don't want it, just keep it. So my day came for me to get married. I got married in 1988. And the board that was there, because I'm their pastor, they'd seen me grow, they were so thankful. These were elderly men. My dad was part of that board. The late, uh, not the late, Libon Tate the late Ntate Job, the late Ntate Jacobs, the late Muruti Pake was part of that board. Uh, Muruti Ntate Lape was part of Ntate Mtembu. At some point, he came uh, later and became part of that board. These were elderly men. So as Bontate, who looked at me as a son, they decided on their own, they'll give me a gift, you know, for the wedding. 
You know, they felt the church must give their pastor a gift. I mean, Murutuabon. So, so here we are. One day we are in a board meeting. They asked me to excuse myself. I didn't know what they were going to call. When I come back, Muruti Kenneth was still there, Kenneth Mankopo. So they revealed this great gifts, and they're all happy. Or, oh, we thought we would do. But I'll be honest with you. I don't remember what happened. All I know was I changed. I screamed. I've never screamed at my dad. I, I, all my, I've never. My father, I've always respected my dad. I've never, there's a certain line with my father I would never cross. But that day, I crossed that line not only with him, with the other fathers. There was this creature that came out of me. And I screamed and I said, I don't want anything from you. You keep your money. I don't want anything from you. And I stormed out of the room. I was angry. And I left the meeting. And when I was outside, it was like Frankenstein. And I'm standing there thinking, what's this creature? Who's this person? This is not me. This is not me. As I stood there, thank God, Muruti Kenneth came behind me and said, Musa, what's wrong? And then I realized the constant accusations, constant striking. One way Satan was hitting. Now it's a stronghold. Now it controls me. Controls how I think, it controls how I feel, it controls how I behave. It has become the filter through which I filter everything. And that day, thank God for Muruti Kenneth. Because I had gotten to a point where I didn't know how to redeem myself. I had I had behaved so badly that I was embarrassed to go back to the meeting. He said, Musa, I'll go back with you. And I went back to the meeting. I hang my head in shame and apologized. And I said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. But you see, Basalana, I had to deal with that stronghold. I had to learn to receive gifts again. I had to learn that when people say, when there's poor people, to just listen to it and don't let it dear. All of us, we've got our prisons. It's a strategy. Where the devil doesn't have to bring demons, all he does is to bring thoughts. And it becomes a stronghold. You are in prison. You can see other people operate in the same area. Mara, you can't get out. You can see other people advance, Marawena. You can't get there. You know you have what it takes. You keep falling into the same thing with alcohol, you keep drinking. You keep doing drugs. You keep going out with strange men and strange women. You keep doing it. You keep lying. You keep cheating. You keep, you keep backsliding. It's a prison. It's a prison. But then I understood what the book of Hebrews says about the word of God. It says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is able to divide asunder between joints and marrow, soul and spirit. It penetrates the stronghold. If you take the word, 
God and allow the word of God to penetrate the stronghold. You become a free person. Can I hear an amen? I began to understand what David says when he says, Thy word is a lamp to my feet. Thy word is a light to my path. I understand David when he says the entrance, the entrance, the entrance, the entrance, the entrance of thy word brings light. Let the word of God enter into the, 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 the prison of your mind. Let the word of God enter the fortress of your mind. And that's why the word of God sets us free. That's why the Bible says, if the son of man sets you free, you are free indeed. Can I hear an amen? That's why we've got to take what God's word, Romans chapter 12, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. Be transformed. Come out of prison. Come out of the fortress. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the word of God becomes our standard for truth. The word of God becomes the filter for truth. I allow the word of God to dear my mind. I allow the word to penetrate my mind. As I meditate on the day and night, I allow the word to renew my mind. And that becomes the standard for truth. And when any lie comes, I have a different stronghold. I've got a stronghold of the word of God now. I can stand behind the the fortress of the word of God. I was asking myself, you know, during the week, everything has a measuring standard. What's the standard for truth and lies? We know with measuring weights, or with air conditioners, they send them through to these specialists where they do this thing called calibration. When you calibrate an instrument is when you adjust it so that when it measures, it measures according to scale. So calibration is a measuring standard. We measure from there, we filter from there. Listen to me. The calibration of truth and lies is the word of God. We start there. Whatever God says about you is so. I said whatever God says about you is so. I said whatever God says about you is so. Whatever God says you have, you have. Whatever God says you can do, you can do. And you can say everything about you. What God says about you. Let that be the standard. Let that be the standard. I know in South Africa we have the South African Bureau of Standards. I'm here to tell you we have the Bureau of Standards when it comes to heavenly things. It's called the Word of God. That's the standard. Whatever God says about me, if God says I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus, then I'm healed. If God says I can do all things through Christ, then I can do. If God says I am fearfully and wonderfully made, whether I kiss, kiss, or I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And that's who you are. And you use God's word this time to be your stronghold and your defense. That when Satan comes down the road and he throws the thoughts and throws the thoughts and throws the trust trying to deceive you, trying to outwit you, then you have a stronghold around you. It pushes off the wrong thoughts and you stand strong in the name of Jesus. Somebody shout hallelujah. And number four is the word oppression. The word oppression is made up of two words, the word kata and the word dunamis. The word kata means to bring something into subjugation or dominating. 
The second word is dynamis, it means power. And so in Acts 10 38, it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed. That's that word of the devil. For God was with him. So what does Satan do? He throws the thoughts again and again and again. That's the one strategy he's using. The one lane, the one road. And if you will believe it, if you will accept it, he builds a stronghold in your mind. And once you have a stronghold, he oppresses you with that stronghold. But God anointed Jesus. <laughs> With the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good, taking people out of fortresses, taking people out of prison, all who are oppressed of the diabolos, sets them free. Listen, the day you met Jesus Christ, that was the best day of your life. <laughs> The day we met Jesus. You know, sometimes I, 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 I ask myself, I wonder, where would I be? Oh God, where would I be if Jesus didn't love me? Where would I be? Where would I be, Basalana, if I didn't get to hear this good news? That's why the gospel is called good news. It's good news to the oppressed. It's good news to the bound. It's good news to those in prison. It's good news to those in fortresses. It's good news. When the gospel is preached correctly, it will bring freedom. It will bring deliverance. It will take people out of prison. It's good news. It's good news. It's good news. It's good news. And so Jesus comes to take us out of fortresses. Note, fortresses in those days, evil kings would build those fortresses. And they would rule from those fortresses. Because the fortress is a stronghold. So Satan, just like evil kings, wants to build a stronghold in your mind. And a lofty place from which he can speak repeatedly to you lies, therefore oppress you and control your life. Jesus came to set us free. He sets us free first of all by getting us born again and making us to be God's children. Taking us out of the kingdom of darkness and transferring us into the kingdom of his dear son where we become the sons of God. And the next thing, he fills us with his word and tells us, believe my word, walk according to my word, live according to my word. If you live according to my word, if you, he says, if you, if, you, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you will listen to my word, if you will continue in my word, if you will continue in my word, then you will be my disciples indeed. And then you will know the truth and the truth will. 
You will come out of your prison. You will come out of your fortress. You will come out of, of depression. You will come out of deception. You will know the truth. And you will live as a, as a free person that even if they talk, it doesn't hurt anymore. Even if they say it, it doesn't hurt anymore. Because now you have a different fortress. You are in the fortress of the word of the living God. Thy word is a lamp to my feet. A light on my path. You have that sword of the spirit in your hands and you are fighting off every attack of the enemy. You have that shield of faith. You are quenching every fiery death of the wicked one. Rise up soldier in the name of Jesus and be everything that God wants you to be. And finally the word deception which we come back to our verse. Second Corinthians 2 11 lest Satan should take advantage of us. Why? For we're not ignorant of his devices. Now the word device is made up of two. Is actually, the root word is the word knows. The word knows speaks of the mind. The mind, the brain, the thinking. Mara, in this form, that word devices, it actually talks about a mind that has been traumatized, penetrated, or simply put, a scrambled mind. Watch. We are not ignorant of the fact that Satan wants us to have a scrambled mind. What's a scrambled mind? A mind that has been deared, penetrated with lies and evil and wrong and deception. And unfortunately, that mind has accepted the lies, has accepted the deception. And because you've accepted the deception, you are in a prison. You are in a fortress. Even when truth comes, you can't get out. And because you are in prison, you are in a stronghold. You are living under oppression. And because you are living under oppression, you are living a deceived life. Because deception is not really a lie. Deception is half-truth. The Bible says, Adam was not deceived, but Eve was deceived. Listen. When God gave the command to look after the garden, Eve was not there. It was Adam who was there. So Eve got second-hand revelation. Eve heard from somebody who heard from somebody who heard from somebody who heard from somebody who heard from somebody. So when the enemy, when Diabolos came, when Satan, the accuser, the liar, when he came and spoke to her, Eve bought the lie, bought the deception, believed what was not true. As a result, he became a prisoner. So many people who will not believe what God says about them. And you're believing a lie. You know it's not working. You know it's not working. You know it's not working. What's the use of going back to the same behavior? You already know the outcome. You already know when it starts. You already can second guess. But you are still doing it. Why? Because you are in prison. You are looking outside the prison bars. You are seeing other people free in the same area where you can't be free. 
But because the devil has built a stronghold in your mind, even when we preach the word, it just bounces off your mind because you are in a fortress. All it takes is for you to take God's word. Bring every thought captive. Throw down every thought. Believe what God says. Act on what God says. And you'll be wearing a kilt one day. Without any fear. Because you are everything that God wants you to be. Come on, if you believe that's the word of the Lord, give the Lord a big hand of praise. Come on, if you believe that's the word of the Lord, give the Lord a big hand of praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I see some free people in the name of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I see some people rising up to the fullness of their potential. There's no need for you to be sitting in that prison. There's no need for you to be struggling all these years. There's no need for you to be going in vicious cycle. The son of man is here to set you free with the word of God. It's up to you. It's up to you to believe what God says. Shall we all stand on our feet today? Raise your hands towards the Lord and just thank him for his word. 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 Thank you, Lord. Keep on praying. Keep on praying. Thank you, Jesus. Keep on praying. Keep on praying like you believe the Lord today. Keep on praying. Some of you, this is your time to talk to God. Come on, don't hold back now. Don't hold back now. Thank you, Jesus. Just remain standing, please. Bow your heads. Remain standing, please. You can put your hands down, everybody. This is a serious call that I'm making today. You are here. You've come on your own. You've been invited. Maybe it's not even your first time. But you know for a fact you are in that prison I'm talking about. We're not here to blame you or blame anybody. It happens to all of us. But here's my question. Will you come out of that prison today? Will you let the Son of Man set you free? Will you heal from wounds of the past?
Will you close the door on things of the past? Maybe you've come here, you've been invited or you've come on your own, but you don't know Christ as Savior and Lord. And maybe you've been coming here for whatever length of time, but when you look at your life, you say, you know, I've allowed myself to be in prison. I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart and be the Savior and the Lord of my life. I really need prayer. Our heads bowed, our eyes closed. If you need prayer, would you raise your hand right where you are? Thank you for those bold hands. I appreciate them. Raise it high. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. Don't worry about what people are saying or what they're thinking. People are not your salvation. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. The same way Jesus worked in my life. It's the same way Jesus will work in your life. Thank you for those hands. Thank you, Ashes, for helping us. Maybe the Ashes, when you stand next to the people, you can just wave your hand so that I can be able to see where you are. All right. Just wave it, Ashes. Wave it so that I can see. There you go. There you go. All right. Thank you. Let me pray for these people. Father, thank you for these precious people. I bring them before God right now in the name of Jesus. Bless them, I pray as we commit them to you. Let today be a day of freedom, a day of liberty, a day of walking in the fullness of who you are. Bless every one of them, I pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said,